Many people have ideas about the church, but very often these ideas are very misinformed. The church is more than a building. It is a collection of believers who worship Jesus Christ, and the church is the foundation for all ministry. Well, hello and welcome to Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are very grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today as Pastor Keith continues with our teaching series entitled The Blueprint. On today's broadcast, we'll be hearing part seven of the Blueprint series. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. If you have your Bibles, please turn with us now to the book of Ephesians chapter four. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We are in the middle of a series on the blueprint. And the blueprint, really, is all about our statement of faith. Because as we move into Easter, and as we move into reaching the community around us for Jesus Christ, as we engage the culture as a church family, we want to make certain that we are singing, I say this time and time again, from the same sheet of music. We want to make sure that we understand who we are as a church. And, uh, and every building and every structure has a blueprint, and the church is no different. We have a statement of faith, and the statement of faith is based on the Bible. The Bible is the cornerstone of everything that we do, and this statement of faith is sort of like our cliff notes. You find it on our website, you find it in our documents, find it in our church constitution, I believe, and I just want us to understand what we say we believe and understand as a church family. In in a lot of ways, the The statement of faith is sort of like the oath of office. You know, you promise to defend and protect the Constitution. We're probably not going there. But what it is, is these are the commitments that we hold dear. These are the things that we major on. We major on the major and we minor on the minors. So what I'd like to do is to take some time to read what we believe as a church about the church and what even our denomination believes about the church. And here it is in our blueprint, the church. And you know what you could do? You could take that we there and substitute I. I believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. What's going on here? This is a description, this is an outline of what the church is. It's not what we wish the church was. It's not what the culture wishes the church was. It's not that at all. It's an outline of what the Bible teaches about the church, of what God says the church is, of what God, the author and finisher and founder of our salvation, says that the church is. And sometimes I wonder, as I look at the landscape around us, as I read, I do a lot of reading about the church and of I try to stay current on the affairs of the world and the affairs of Christendom. And a lot of times you get the feeling that we're losing touch as Christendom as to what the church really is. And so today I'd like us as a church family 
to begin to, uh, to understand the church by asking and answering four, four really key questions about the church using our blueprint, our statement of faith as a starting point so that we can move forward together as servants of Christ so that we can serve him, so that we can clearly understand the church and her purposes. And the first question that we're going to ask and answer today is this one. What is the church? What is the church? Now, there's a question worth answering because, as I said, there's a lot of confusion about it today. What do we read in our statement of faith? We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. The church is people. Church isn't this building. This building, I like to refer to it as the meeting house. We know that language is the currency of ideas, and we refer to this as the church. But the church is you. The church is comprised of people. The church is a collection of people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's referred to as the body of Christ. Sometimes you hear it called the bride of Christ. The body metaphor reminds us that each and every one of us have something to contribute to the work of the church. Now there is the invisible church. That's all Christians everywhere all at once. And there is the visible church, which is the physical gathering of Christians here. We are a physical church, or we are a visible church, or we are a particular church. And where do we get these ideas from? If you look in your Bibles in Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 6, you'll read this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism... One God and Father of all, who is over all and in all. Let me read it again. There is one body, the sum of all of your parts that you play here. One spirit, one unifying force, actually one unifying God, God the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, to one belief that belongs to your call. One Lord, one God, one faith, one theology, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over and through and in all. That's the church. That's a snapshot of it right there. Paul writing to the, to the Ephesian church. Ephesus was a town in modern day Turkey. He's telling them they are the church. They are called to be one body. One collection of servants of Jesus Christ. They have been filled by the spirit at, at salvation. And no matter where they're from or what they are or where they came from. They have been initiated into one assembly, one gathering, the church. You see this reiterated in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Look at it again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, free or slave, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Again, the church transcends ethnicity. The church transcends socioeconomic background, educational levels, Greek, Jew, no matter who you are, as a born-again Christian, as a Christ follower, as someone who is surrendered to Christ, a Christ worshiper, a God worshiper, you are the church. It's not a building. It's a people. And it's made up only of Christ's followers. 
Now, where do we see that? We see that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and verse 19. For by grace have you, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're one body, we are the household of God. Now somebody may say, well, Keith, I don't see anywhere where it says church. Well, let's talk about that. Do we have any indication that the household of God is the church? Do we have any indication that the body of Christ is the church? Well, we do. If you read your Bible, you know, you just don't read bits and pieces, you want to read the whole thing, you would turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And here we see that... Body, bride, household is synonymous, is the same thing as the church. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul is writing to Timothy in the pastoral epistles. This is the church in Ephesus. And he's telling them how to operate the church. The pastoral epistles define what the church is and how the church is and how the church is to operate. And he says this, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And a a proper translation would say the pillar and buttress of the faith. It says A in the ESV. I don't know why. But what we see is the household of God, of which we're a part, no longer strangers and aliens, is the church. It is the church. And we see something else there at the end of that passage, that the church is the pillar and buttress, the pillar and support, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Which tells us something else about the church, and that is this. All ministry, all biblical ministry, originates from and radiates out from the church. The church is central to the Christian faith. It's not an add-on. It's not optional. It is the pillar and foundation. It never becomes obsolete. Ministry cannot be done independent of the church. Ministry radiates out from the church. And where do you see that in life? Well, in the life of this church, you see it in the GO team. We have all these missionaries that we support, many of whom we've sent out from here. It starts here. You see it in the LOW team. I'm thinking about all these, go low, that doesn't sound good. But the local outreach team, right? We reach out to the community. We don't go low, we go high, we aim high, right? But the bottom line is, the church is people. And it is the basis for all and any ministry that takes place. You have the invisible church, which is all Christians everywhere. And you have visible or particular churches or physical churches from which we send out people to minister. Now, there's a second question that we want to ask. We know what the church is. It's a body, a collection, an assembly of believers committed to Christ, worshiping together. It's not a building. It's people. But what is the makeup of the church? That's our second question. Who are these people? And we already sort of gave that away a moment ago, but I want to give it away again. And we see it in our statement of faith. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace 
through faith alone and Christ alone, the true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. You could change that should to a must, actually, but hey. So visible churches, invisible churches. But here's the deal. Who goes in there based on that? Well, let me tell you who doesn't go in there. And I'm going to use a very counterintuitive passage to make my point here. So work with me. Listen. This is not the time to doze off, okay? So if you turn to Matthew 18, 15 through 17, a passage that most churches avoid like the plague, we see this. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Somebody makes you mad, you talk to him privately. Somebody sins against you, you go privately and you work it out privately. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Good news. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In the Bible, in Old Testament times, if somebody was charged with a capital crime, you had to have at least two witnesses to execute them, to find them guilty and to execute them. And what's going on here is this is conflict resolution within the church. Somebody offends you, you go talk to them. You don't talk about them, you talk to them. And if they listen to you, you've won your brother. Or they may persuade you that you're wrong, and they've won you and all as well. If they won't listen to you, if they blow you off, you bring others alongside to hold you accountable and to hold them accountable. And then verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, look at this, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what in the world does that have to do with the church? A Gentile and a tax collector is someone outside the church, an unbeliever. And this is the classic so-called church discipline passage where it talks about at some point if somebody persists in a sinful practice or direction and you no longer take their salvation for granted and you consider them, you don't label them, but you consider them as if they were unsaved and you witness to them. This is also the removal procedure from membership from the Christian church, the visible church. And what that tells us is this. In Jesus' day, a Gentile was somebody outside the family of God, outside of Israel. In Jesus' day, a tax collector was a Jewish person who had betrayed the Jewish people and they were considered outside the family. What this means is, is that people who aren't Christians really can't and really aren't in the church. They're not members of the family of God yet. They may visit the church. They may come with you to church. They may come to your small group, but they're not in the church yet. You may invite them to church, and I hope you're going to invite your 10 for 10 list and your neighbor, and I hope people will see your your small yard sign or your large yard sign or your pink flamingos and ask you about them. The bottom line is the church is for Christians. Okay? Sometimes we lose sight of that. I've seen churches that do evangelism by committee. They get a guy. He's, he's a gifted guy, a high-capacity guy. He doesn't know the Lord. They put him on a committee. They put him on the worship team hoping he'll get saved. That's like missionary dating. We don't do that. Okay? Okay? So the church is for believers. That's why it says if he refuses to listen, treat him like he's outside the church. Treat him like an unbeliever. The church is for Christ followers. 
And that's why in our membership statement, in our membership class, and in the church's constitution and bylaws, we say you have to be a believer to join the church. You don't want people, you don't want Pepsi salesmen, nothing against Pepsi, selling Coca-Cola products, nothing against Coca-Cola. You don't want believers making decisions about church life. That's why we see again in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 and 19, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And as we talked about in 1 Timothy a moment ago, that's the church of the living God. Why is this important? Because a lot of times we bend the operation of the church away from the worship of God to accommodate those who are outside the household of God. And we do so sometimes in the name of hospitality. We do so sometimes with the best of intentions. But a church, the purpose is to And the purpose of every Christian is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We talked about that in Christian living. Our purpose is the worship of God. So we don't drop ideas like salvation through Christ alone. We don't drop discussions of sin. And we don't run away from the core values of the Christian faith to accommodate the culture. You just can't do that. And when you think about this, this really goes against some of the ideas of our culture our inclusive culture in which we live out an exclusive faith. In our inclusive culture, membership in the family of God and the church and the body of Christ, which is the pillar and support or foundation of the truth, is limited to Christ followers, Christians alone. And if we lose track of that and we just, you know, we just kind of let our, let our standards down below God's standards, if we ignore the scriptures then what we begin to do is damage the foundations of our ministry. And when you do that, you begin a drift that leads to you withering and dying over time. So you want to be careful. Now let me tell you what I just did not say to you. What did I not just say to you? I did not say to you that you can't be friends with non-Christians. I did not say to you that non-Christians are not welcome here. I did not say to you, don't invite your un your unchurched, unchristian friend to church. And I did not say to you that we are better than non-Christians. I didn't say anything like that. So I don't want to hear that later on. Okay. And let me always encourage you, if you think you hear me say something, listen to the tape, listen to the audio file, listen to the podcast, and, do radio, you know, and don't shoot first and ask questions later, Okay. You see, when we turn away from the worship of God and concern ourselves with accommodating the culture and become obsessed with it, what we do is we try to serve two masters, the culture and Christ. And Jesus himself said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one or you'll hate the other. You'll embrace one or you'll neglect the other. And that's why we read in Ephesians 4, Four through six, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. The church is for Christ followers. 
the church reaches out to embrace and point to Christ those who don't know Christ, those who haven't met Christ, those who don't have a relationship with Christ. But that's what God's people do. The church is God's people. The church is made up of Christ's followers who explain and share and point other people to Christ, just like we're going to try to do in kind of a large way in the community for Easter. That's the church. Accept no substitutes. A lot of times we say, well, we don't want to be too churchy. I want you to think about that statement. What are you saying when you say that? Years and years ago when I was in the corporate world, we got gobbled up by the Walt Disney Company. And we had this meeting, and we were all in the room with our new masters, a large, aggressive mouse with big teeth. <laughs> and this is right before Eisner, if you know the story of Disney, Eisner and Wells came on board. And we're sitting there, and my boss's boss's boss stands up, and, and we're going through, and we were a real estate development company, and he says, look, you know, we're not some Mickey Mouse organization. We just want you to know that. <laughs> and the president of Disney, whose name I no longer recall, stood up and goes, by that I guess you mean a high-quality, creative, and financially sound organization. <laughs> we need to be churchy as a church. We need to be who we are, what we are. That doesn't mean we get hung up on man-made traditions. It doesn't mean we get hung up on decor or decorations. It doesn't mean we speak Christianese to those who don't speak the language. It means we are who we are. We are God's people and we represent him. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ.